0: Uh, Carrie Gress, who's written a new book, The End of Woman. Uh, tell us a little thumbnail sketch about your mm-hmm. book.
1: Yeah, so this book really was written in reaction to this the, the fact that we can't really define what a woman is anymore in, in the mm-hmm. culture, um, you know, that famous Matt Walsh question. Right. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, I'd already been looking at feminism and trying to pinpoint really where the problems were and where it started and um anyway i realized that i hadn't spent enough time looking at first wave feminism and i thought let me just go back check the box make sure everything looks good maybe i'll find some nice you know quotes and things like that that i can pull from it and 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 the uh, the
0: time period for first wave first
1: wave is like 1790s roughly until about the early 1960s so Mm -hmm. it's a big chunk of time Mm -hmm. you've got suffrage movement there and Anyway, so the, the, the book really is a, a look at what I found in the first wave, which was absolutely shocking to me. You know, I thought I would spend like two days looking at the first wave and um, you know, it was more like three months, um, just a very focused work. So it, basically the idea is that um, starting to pull out what are the major pieces in feminism we can see from the very beginning, kind of the characteristics of it um, and why it's been so problematic for just the world you know on a grand massive scale um so anyway the the at the heart of it what i really uncovered was that the feminists have been asking the wrong question which is not how do we help women as women but
0: mm-hmm. how do we
1: help women become like men mm-hmm. um so i think once you sort of start seeing that pattern emerge from the, certainly early feminism um but then uh, later feminism we can really see why how we've gone to the trans world right. how we also why we can't define what a woman is because we've really denigrated mm. all of the uh, um, maternal and feminine characteristics and really in their place puts uh, masculine aspects and and idolized that i think for women so that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell
0: <laughs> and some of them first wave rooted in some of the revolutions french revolution yeah. communism yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah so the the grandmother of of Feminism is really is this woman named Mary Wollstonecraft. That's where people sort of start feminism as an ideology. Of course, the word is anachronistic because she didn't use the word. But um, so Mary Wollstonecraft is writing at the time of the French Revolution. She's very she's a, an English woman who actually goes to France. And um, while she's there, she's um, you know exposed to all the radicalness of it. In fact, she um, is had a relationship with an American man and, they, and she ended up getting pregnant they did not marry, but he told the embassy that they were married, and that's actually what saved her life. Otherwise, she probably would have had her you know, head roll at the guillotine mm-hmm. just the, the way that many of her friends did and whatnot. So she saw firsthand just the, the bloodiness of it, but she was still a defender of, of the Republic and um, really a contemporary of Thomas Paine, who's writing at that time um, the rights of man, which is-
0: And a, she was a def- defender of the Republic.
1: Yeah, yeah, she remained- Even
0: losing friends at the
1: guillotine. Yeah. Yeah, it just it, it was wow. very much um, and, you know, you ha- have to remember this time that what's going on is, you know, she's she's a very broken woman. She has mm-hmm. these horrible parents, horrible parents, um, and they are her model of male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's seeing that there's, you know, women are really suffering and that women are suffering. I mean, there's this, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But people in general are also <laughs> suffering too, you know, it's not just women. Um, but she's, she's looking at these women and their fertility and, you know, the problems that it creates for them. And so it's sort of this, um, how do we help women avoid the problems associated with fertility? And, um, so that the solution at that point, you know, you've got Thomas Paine writing about this, you've got, um, the Marquis de Sade, you've got this whole romantic movement Mm -hmm. going on in the enlightenment that's trying to like get rid of every taboo that's trying to break down. Um, the church—it's trying to break down, you know, all of these um, structures that's you know been upholding society, and um, really get rid of them and recreate something new. And so that's what the spirit within which she's writing. And so she's focused on this idea of how do we kind of collapse society into this very egalitarian, kind of no differences between men and women. And uh, you know, there's certain things that she says that are actually good. I mean, she focuses a lot on. Male chastity and and women being virtuous, and she's critical of the ways in which women can be flighty and vain, and you know all those kinds of things. Um, but again, I think she had the wrong medicine for the the illness, and um, so it's it's her ideas that sort of got picked up and run with later on.
0: And it does seem, yeah, you know, like childbearing is makes a woman vulnerable, dependent, and seem like a lot of these feminists want to escape that yeah. it's just yeah. so much written into the not only Body. biology but <laughs> right, the, right. the psychology right yeah. and i would even to me like the spiritual gifts of women mm-hmm. that come to bear in motherhood and even yeah you know ability to suffer the long suffering and things yeah um so and that's what i keep thinking of too it's like women have these men and women have their unique gifts and complementary and it's like the women gifts to me they tend to often be more of the spiritual realm or the virtues related therein and um, so that's getting trampled by yeah <laughs>
1: that's
0: being cut off right yeah right, right.
1: well and that's what what one of the most surprising and interesting factors that i found was the mary Wollstonecraft's Son-in-law, whom she never met, she died when she um, shortly after giving birth to Mary Godwin, later Shelley, um, who wrote Frankenstein. Oh wow! Um, yeah, wow. I mean, this family is just amazing. <laughs> how their 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 what their reach was, but um, so Mary Godwin ends up falling in love with Percy Shelley, who's the Romantic poet, and the two of them um, run away together along with Mary's stepsister. Jane, who calls herself Jane. She later changes her name to Claire, so it gets a little confusing. But anyway, the three of them run away, and you know, there's uh, all this just mayhem that ensues because Percy Shelley's already married. He's, mm-hmm. His wife's expecting their second child. Mm-hmm. Um, he's this very well-off um, young man. He gets thrown out of Oxford because he wrote something on atheism, and he, his, just, his whole life is really trying to, again, destroy taboos. So in his writing, he actually writes about this woman named Sithna. Um, And Sithna is the first woman in literature that does not have a husband and doesn't have children. There's no motherhood. And she becomes this idol of this notion of the independent woman. Mm -hmm. Um, So while Mary Shelley's writing about Frankenstein and his creature, Percy Shelley is writing about, and they of course later married after Percy Shelley's mm. wife committed suicide. His first wife committed suicide. Mm. Wow. Anyway, the whole their whole lives. I mean, you, people see this in the book. I I lay out some of it, but um, were really just a, a mess because he was so bo- both Percy Shelley and then um, Mary Godwin's family. Her her father, William Godwin, who was married to Mary Wollstonecraft, was very much a proponent of free love. Um, so this whole free love notion just destroys all of these people, and there's so many you know children that die from it. But the big thing, you know, aside from these biographical details, is just really this idea that he, that Percy Shelley plants of this independent woman who doesn't have a husband, doesn't have children. And that's really what started resonating with people. Yeah. And you see this throughout the 1800s yeah. um, becoming, you know, kind of growing in steam. And of course that just, it, you match it up with communism and suddenly it just becomes explosive in the second life for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've I've wondered, yeah, why, yeah, the marriage to free love. I mean, I, I think, I think we're seeing that with the transgender movement now. Mm-hmm. It's like these, quote unquote, sexual values are just preeminent above all. Th- you know, yeah. if you well, even like the sound of freedom thing with the human trafficking before the scandal with Tim Ballard and all this. But I was wondering. I thought we could all agree on this point, right? Sex trap. <laughs> right, 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 right. I thought this could right. be a- <laughs> Isn't
1: this just like the lowest of the low? Yeah. yeah. Why is this contentious? Yeah.
0: But that's I, incredible. I wonder if it was just, you know, don't let anything get in the way of whatever I want to do sexually.
1: Yeah, and that's it, the big piece is the yeah. will. I mean, it goes back to Nietzsche, which I, I don't talk about Nietzsche in the book, partially mm-hmm. because I wanted this book to be very readable. I didn't want people to get bogged down too much in philosophy and feel like. It was an academic book. Um, so I, I tried to keep it light, but it is that idea of this will to power that I can will to be whomever I want. I can reinvent myself. And so you see that it's in Nietzsche and then it moves on with Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. And, it, you know, it just keeps going. And then you see you see someone like Kate Millet, who, you know, she's in the um, 60s and 70s and she's the same spirit of, um, you know, how do we get rid of every taboo? And, you know, really saying, Uh, amazing and bombastic things and you know it's the audacious life i mean that was how what her life was characterized by and she was very much um incredibly influential in pushing forward the the feminist movement and the um the uh, gay and lesbian movement and of course you know what has flown out of that is the trans movement so um yeah it's really just this idea of of these taboos are enslaving us and we have to break them all down and um you know without paying attention to the real carnage that's that comes from them
0: and i i mean i guess would the feminists say like well if you look at just historically you know women are suffering you know many are dying in childbirth Mm -hmm. and you know the difficulties and sacrificial love they're called to and they're trying to get away from that i guess on one level but i I guess does it does like it. express itself differently in men i see like men well yeah we want a sexual revolution we want unlimited promiscuity all right right
1: right
0: now, so they're doing their damage but the women's damage is different isn't it with the yeah. their approach or their... well
1: i mean the women's damage is different because it's we have 60 million dead children yeah. through abortion yeah. you know this is and i think this is the the hardest part about this this topic in general is that I don't think people I think people in their minds separate out abortion and the, and the feminist movement. They think of them as sort of two different realities and don't see that they're actually tightly connected. Yeah. And I think in the future, people will say, you know, feminism was the most deadly ideology in all the 20, 21st century. Mm. Um, the numbers are just off the charts. If you look at even globally, the, there's about 10 million more abortions. Worldwide, than there are people dying of everything else combined. um It's something like sixty. Last year, was something like sixty four million people died in total, and there were something like seventy four million abortions worldwide. So,
0: it's the leading cause of death in the
1: world. Yeah, it is.
0: And people don't. I would say yeah. that pro life marches uh, and stuff, yeah. but we don't. Do we realize it's the leading yeah. cause of yes. death? Yes,
1: <laughs> and it all came about because of what the feminist movement did. Again, back to this idea of the independent woman. It articulated in very compelling and attractive ways this idea of a woman being enslaved by a husband and children so rather than a husband and children being an avenue through which she finds her happiness or finds holiness or or lives a, a virtuous and beautiful life those are the things that she now has to fight against and um and this is why abortion's so vital because women have to be in the feminist vision. Women have to be like men, so right. abortion and contraception are the ways through which we 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 must have those things according to the ideology. Right. Um, so I think putting all these pieces together, I think helps people really realize the gravity of it and um, just how evil it it really is. Instead of separating them out and feeling like oh, okay, this the feminism has been feminism has been sort of this you know, benevolent grandmother that just means I'm pro-woman, well, mm-hmm. it has all of this incredible baggage that I think most people don't, don't begin to realize. And of course, part of that is, I mentioned free love already. I mentioned the, um, the idea of collapsing society down into this mm-hmm. egalitarian terms. But there's also the occult, which is um, very, very much part of it. Percy Shelley was involved with the occult. Uh, you know, we go, move on to Elizabeth Cady, Stan. Um, hugely involved in seances and the the, um, mediums and the wrappings that, you know, are happening during the Second Great Awakening in the United States. So she, all of that is a part of it.
0: Good. And Stanton, what was the good part of her work? (laughs) Wasn't there something good about her? Wasn't there something good about her?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, that, that's the big question. I don't, I'm not actually convinced (laughs) that there is much that was really good about Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, comes about, she, she gets this idea from this table called the Spirit Table, it's now in the Smithsonian, um, for the Seneca Falls Convention. So but that's usually what people associate her with, and this being the founders of the suffrage movement in the United States. Um, so the problem, though, is that she's getting her ideas through mediums and seances and um, very involved in, yeah. in the occult. Um, she also has um you know there's a seneca falls document that 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 she put together but she actually couldn't put it together by herself because she wasn't a middle-class woman she was an upper-class woman mm. she actually had to ask her husband and other friends that were lawyers about well what would be the grievances of women today you know, it wasn't <laughs> like she was had these grievances that she yeah. was operating with and how do we correct them mm. it was the opposite it was we want to do this convention help women but what should the grievances be and um, you know and they, there's valid things like um, it, it, you know, women not getting custody of, of children during divorces and whatnot. Um, but it's really interesting to look at this at this list of the grievances that they came up with in the Seneca Falls Convention, um, because you can actually see the pendulum swing the opposite direction. You know, they're talking about um, the capacity of women to have con- um, custody of their children, so, such kind, you know, work and whatnot. But if you see what's happened, that, with men, men don't have any custody of their children. Men don't, very rarely get custody of their children. The default is always to give it to the child, to the woman. Men have no say over abortion. Um, So you can see kind of the pendulum swinging the other direction, which is of course, this reminder, like we're made to be in families. We're made to live in families. We're not made to have this being parsed out and this idea of this, you know, radical individualism of the male or the female. Um, Mm. So anyway, it's, She's an interesting character, but I think she's really made to appear to be a, her- a heroine by the feminist movement, mm-hmm. without really realizing the damage that she did. And she's she's got this book called the Women's Bible, that's actually mm. it's still in print. I mean, you can still find it. And um, she, you know, she's so involved in Theosophy and the occult and this and the women's movement, this idea of this women's revolution, that she can't really read it. You know, it's almost like an adolescent, an angry adolescent sort of picking things, you know, from the Old Testament anytime a woman is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's sort of these juvenile comments about Abraham and Sarah. and You know, it's just, it's really bad. Um, but the, ultimately, she gets kicked out of her own movement. Um, she, mm. the, the organization that she found. She also was racist, very racist. <laughs> this was another, I mean, there's all this drama that yeah. uh, it's like, why is this not ever coming up? But she was very upset that, that the, um, slaves that were being freed, the men were getting the right to vote before she was and this is what mm-hmm. she's you know the, another thing she's mm-hmm. rallying against So she finally gets kicked out of her own movement and um, sets really stops suffrage from happening because of all the scandals associated with her um, for another 30 years oh, wow. So anyway yeah there's a lot of dirt on Elizabeth candy Sand that isn't isn't well known unfortunately.
0: Some of the things that caught my eye last, year to two it just seems like there's a bigger movement in the u.s certainly for socialism and mm-hmm. wanting bigger government to take care yeah. of things and but even among like catholic feminist writers or something you're starting to hear more of that i think what like you talk about the egalitarian this want, mm-hmm. this want of egalitarian and mm-hmm. and and i i think you know obviously capitalism has its faults and you know it, it needs to be moderated and humanized and you know you need to take care of the least suffering and things some but i look at it as like one that if you want to have a healthy economy you have to have some element of it if you know there's the laws of economics right Right. but two someone pointed out to me recently that struck me like it protects private property which Mm -hmm. is absolutely fundamental to natural law and the social doctrine of the church yeah and that's when I started getting a little worried here about you know where are we right. going with all this right, and, uh,
1: right. yeah so. no, and I think that that's those are incredibly valid concerns, especially when you start seeing a lot of the motivations the, the drivers not uh, only capitalism and, and money. it's a lot of it is actually communism that has driven mm. this and that's, this is it you know if you look at or you know if you look at the Soviet Union, what do they do well they get the children are raised by the state the parents both go to work they're trying to create ideal workers mm-hmm. um and so you can see this echoing in the work of betty for i mean this is another yeah. shocking thing is how what a communist betty Friedan was and her whole goal was to get women out of the home mm-hmm. she called it the com- comfortable concentration camp mm-hmm. um and she's you know quoting angles in different ways and and talking about how women will only be free when they're doing productive work outside the home. So raising children uh-huh. and having children wasn't considered production under the communist system. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marxists didn't think so. So she's promoting this idea of getting women out of the home. And you know she just does it amazingly well because of course prior to that in China and uh-huh. after that, actually I guess in China, but in the Soviet Union and other countries, it's done through usually military force. And I think that the Um, The new left Marxists in the United States, people like Marcuse and and Wilhelm Reich and others that were very influential in the 30s and 40s and 50s, they saw that you couldn't do that in the United States, you had to get into the culture. And this is where um, the sexual revolution comes into play. Wilhelm Reich, Mm -hmm. he's this Frankfurt thinker, he comes to work at Columbia University. He's written this book in 1936 called The Sexual Revolution, which was really the blueprint for what happened in the 60s, was all these leftist ideas of um, how do we destroy the culture? How do we get women to be these ideal workers? Because they wanted to usher in this sort of New revolution. So, anyway, so I think that the the impulse that we're seeing—you have to sort of look at what's motivating it with women. You know, especially the language: are they using the word mothers? Do they see? Do they want sex blindness, where you can't tell the difference in a workplace, or you're not supposed to see the difference between a male and a female? Um, All of these kinds of ways in which men and women are sort of collapsed down into cogs. That's not from capitalism. That's from. Communism, yeah. um, so I think that that's an important thing that people just need to be aware of is mm-hmm. that it's communism that's trying to make us these ideal workers. I think right. com- the communists didn't really think about like well what happens when all these workers get all this money because they are also trying to crush our economy right. and not have women spend so much money. But women mm-hmm. at that point were you know seventy percent of the, the purchasing power was through them. Mm-hmm. Um, they still are, and um, they just really? didn't and really the- think through. Oh, you know, wow. The what you know what happens when. Women now have two jobs, and they have a lot. Or men, a couple has two jobs, and there's more money. You know, so it looks like it's just capitalism, but really, I think the underpinning is 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 communist, yeah, Marxist.
0: Yeah, and I to me, yeah, it's like just like private capitalism champions private property, which Mm -hmm. we're talking about subsidiarity and running a home, making your own decisions. It's like yeah. I mean, that frightens me to want to hand that to the government. Yeah. You know? and, and
1: that's what has happened to women by and yeah. large. I mean, there's this whole I, I don't know if you remember Julia, this woman that the Obama administration mm. cooked up in their marketing materials mm. around the time they were coming up with Obamacare. Um, it was this woman who didn't ever need a man in her life. She didn't need a father. She, she had the mm. government. Um, yeah. She didn't need a husband. She didn't need You know, the government was going to take care of her through her whole life. And that's what we have, especially among poor women, is this idea right. of burogamy. It's this great mm-hmm. word um, this sociologist named Lionel Tiger came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the one that came up with male bonding, that idea of male mm-hmm. bonding. Um, but it, that's what's happened to the poor women in the culture is they are now married to this, the government. They don't have any ambitions that they would actually ever get married. Like marriage is something of a, a you know, status symbol at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be a certain kind of woman with a certain kind of wealth. and. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our poor don't have it so this is why mm-hmm. we see this you know fraying and this you know awful reality in which these women find themselves that they will yeah. never get out of because the government is the one that's both promoting and perpetuating the, their problem mm-hmm. their problems
0: yeah I and mean, it seems like on the other side it, you know we see like these powerful corporations growing and their mm-hmm. social agenda yeah and and I've heard people point out that they're, like, growing on, like, the destabilization of culture. Like, mm-hmm. if you, it's a family broken, they're more dependent on mm-hmm. corporations, they get more consumeristic, they want to yeah. buy stuff, they want more yeah. entertainments or whatever.
1: And that's not new either. I mean, that's yeah. a, actually, it's been going on um, I, in my research, I, I found, you know, magazine actually would focus on that if we have broken women we sell them more products they need us more mm-hmm. um, so the, it was a very concerted effort to try and destabilize women and make them more dependent upon the state right. and more upon, dependent upon products you know yeah. even just all the body imaging that women have been told you know you have to look like this kind of body um, yeah. you know much of that was to pr- promote the the, the profits really from right. diets and exercise mm-hmm. fads and clothing and, you know, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. So it's really ugly when you start seeing just the, the ways in which we have been incredibly manipulated by all of this to get us to think that these are things that are good for us. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's, it's scary.
0: Well, why don't we talk about the positive side of it Maybe what mm-hmm. what things are good for us? Where is human flourishing found? And maybe like, what's mm-hmm. the real power, if that's the right word, of women? What yeah. what do they bring to bear in society for force for good? And things
1: yeah. Like no, I think those are great questions. My last chapter of uh, the book really goes into the question about women and what does it re- what does it mean to be a woman? How do we mm-hmm. find define woman? Um, and obviously, there's the Matt Walsh definition. You know, she's an adult female human. Uh, but it's really unsatisfying. It just feels very sort of textbooky and not doesn't, doesn't put flesh. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't put any flesh on anything. You know, it doesn't help us. And, and this is actually, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we face as Catholics is that the, the left has done both an amazing job of making feminism incredibly attractive. It's, you know, attractive, well-spoken woman. They, they're all in it together saying the exact same thing. It's very, very hard to find someone that will not... Go with them in lockstep. They have also, though, been very effective in in articulating what they think the opposition looks like. So you know, the Handmaid's Tale. You've got the, the red bonnets and the red robes. Like this is to imply that those of us that don't agree with them are heading into some kind of fertility cult. Or mm-hmm. um, so that's that's part of it. What they've painted, but they've also just given put out there this idea that unless you're a feminist it goes along with them you're you're doormat or you know something like that so
0: you're missing out yeah (laughs) so our
1: job really is to sort of help women start figuring out how to think about women again Mm -hmm. um you know it's this grammar that's completely missing we don't have mental hooks for it we don't know women like this we we probably know women in our personal lives like this but we don't see them anywhere in the culture um and this is one of the things that my colleague noelle Mary and i have done with our book theology of home is to try to give visuals and Rearticulate what does it mean to be a woman in the flesh and and the beauty of it and whatnot um, but aside from that I, you know I go into and the, the end of this book just looking at well you know what do women do I mean the first piece is of course we have to talk about motherhood and mothering mm-hmm. um, we're not just and I don't just mean that biologically I think all women are called to mother others mm-hmm. and mothering by that I mean providing a place where people are sheltered are nourished are protected to become who it is that God made them to be, um, so I think that's the the real challenge. Is we've sort of made motherhood look like it's just for biological mothering, when in fact it's also meant to be psychological and spiritual. So that's that I think needs to kind of be a, a reframing of um, of the discussion, which you know can feel incredibly uncomfortable because we're not. It, it feels taboo to talk about women and motherhood anymore. You know they've made it sound like it's something like getting, you know. It's, it's like getting a driver's license. You can become a mother or not. Yeah. Um, instead of the reality that we're all we have this heart yeah. for mothering, yeah. and you can see it. We have clear proof that the mothering heart doesn't go away. Look at what's happened with pets. Seven hundred million dollars <laughs> is being spent on pet Halloween costumes in our country alone. On costumes. Just costumes. Oh, for the pet. For the pet, yeah. <laughs> okay. The animals yeah. get costumes <laughs> at Halloween. Seven hundred million dollars, and I keep watching this number go up. I first ran across it a couple of years ago, and it was only half. You know, it was only five hundred billion. It's only half a billion. Um, now it's up to seven hundred million. So that women have this heart that, that they want to mother others. They just they. You know, what happens when you take away? children and what grandchildren, you know, it's gotta express itself somehow. And this mm-hmm. is why we see pet strollers and, you know, on and on. Um, so I, I, I think that there's great hope because that hasn't been crushed out of us. You know, we st- it's still alive. Um, but yeah, I think we just have to start finding new ways to talk about it and, and to give women a sense that there's, there's something else out there than what they get from the mainstream, everything.
0: Is there a favorite book you have that talks about motherhood that describes it in a beautiful way or something? Or?
1: Um, you know, I think that's a good question. The part of the hard part about a lot of the the discussion about women and motherhood is it feels like, it feels very dated. Um, so it's not it's a kind of thing that I can imagine, you know, there there are many w- women that I can point to, you know, Gertrude von Lefort and obviously Alice mm. von Hildebrand and, and others, but Um, they're not the kind of things that I would just give to any woman, you know? And I think that that's the the challenge. And that's one of the things I wanted to do with this book was make it feel very accessible that anybody could read it and Mm -hmm. uh, they might hate it, but they would at least they would plant seeds Mm -hmm. in a certain way versus a lot of the books that are out there on this topic feel either really, you know, they're very academic. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of language and jargon that prevents people from just entering into it. And Mm -hmm. actually that's one of the reasons why I never wanted to work on women's issues when I as a graduate student. I think I said out women loud, "Women are
0: complicated." That's what I. Oh my goodness! So complicated, <laughs> and
1: and but there's it's there's a way in which women absorb content that I don't think that as Catholics we've done a great job of paying mm-hmm. attention to either. You know, we don't have women's magazines, we don't have um, TV shows that are that really mimic what the left is doing. I mean, this is how the left has destroyed us: magazines, daytime TV show. Mm-hmm. I think of, like, the damage Oprah Winfrey has done. Um, and we don't recognize that. I think we think of it as really fluff. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, like, no, they're actually passing along their awful ideas. Through, you know, it's it's right. like the Barbie movie. I mean, Barbie right. is a perfect example of this. Right. Right. Pink, nostalgia, great clothes, a few tender yeah. moments. But yeah. what is that movie full of? Totally unnecessary men. Right. Men are idiots. And if they try to take over... The women are need to just take it back and put them back in their place, and that's the come, message.
0: Seems like it comes right out of the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does, and that—that's
1: actually the amazing thing—is to see that uh, both Percy Shelley and Elizabeth Cady Stanton were very much part of this group of thinking of that um, Eve was, you know, Eve was framed. That idea yeah. of, uh, or Eve was actually provided an opportunity by the serpent. Yeah. Yeah. She has this, you know, knowledge—that special knowledge mm-hmm. that came from the serpent. So. There's a rewriting of Genesis because they don't like the original one. They're trying to go back and rewrite it in a way that fits with their own narrative. So,
0: And there's like a, a weakness of men there. Some describe yeah. like a la- lack of backbone or something that well, they become passive. It's, it's, it's like kryptonite. A, Feminism yeah. has been kryptonite
1: for men. I mean, really, it's. I, I think you can just hear... Like, I, I'll bring up feminism, and you can just sort of hear the beep, beep, beep. You know, men are backing <laughs> away. And I don't blame them. I mean, men don't want to argue with women. Um, but I, and I, I, and actually, I talk about this in the book. You know, Jordan Peterson mentions in one of his conversations with Camille Paglia, Camille Paglia is saying, well, men really need to step in and start doing something. Um, and Jordan Peterson says, you know, you, you don't really know what you're saying because men have sort of these. Laws of engagement they know what to do with another man if things get really tense and awkward and confrontational you know sometimes it can lead to Raised voices or fists being thrown, Mm -hmm. but you a a good man will never do that with a woman. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of Frozen like Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to respond in that kind of argumentative situation because women are incredibly aggressive and um, and and The way that feminism has shaped us and formed us um so i think that's a real problem and i think this is one of the reasons why you know the best thing that men can do is actually become better men Um, Mm -hmm. and and i think in some ways my book is helping in small ways because it's helping men understand that they need to feel compassion towards women instead of resentment because much of what we have been fed has been total indoctrination most of us didn't choose to be feminists it was all you know, it's from the very beginning. I remember being first, second grade and being taught to compete with the boys. You know, it's just mm-hmm. been part of our, our the way in which we've been raised. And um, so I think that that's an important thing for men to understand there needs to be a layer of compassion towards women for <laughs> bad behavior. Um, <laughs> but I think men need to be better men. And that's <laughs> the way in which they fight this. And I, But I think more importantly, women need to be more outspoken and Recognize like this has been horrible for women. It's been mm-hmm. horrible for the family. It's been um, You know, there's not a single metric that shows that women are happier because of this um, Depression rates suicide all of these things show women are miserable yeah. um, So I, I think it's got to be I think women need to step up and do more for sure
0: now, sometimes it's helped me like me with frustration with like feminism and stuff but just to remember I think a devotion to the Blessed Mother. I think mm. for men, you know, if they have that, mm-hmm. it's like you know, the Blessed Mother is a woman. Would you treat her this way? Would you have this attitude? Yeah. To, you know, you can see something of her in women yeah. that is very inspiring to men. But mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, too, like, I think that's a great, uh, you know, like, championing motherhood, spiritual, biological motherhood. And the one thing I marvel at, I think, as a man is you know the woman's capacity and drive to pay attention to the individual. Mm-hmm. It's like men can get can get caught up in ideology, I- ideology or big ideas and all this, and, and we lose sight of the individual. But it's like I see like women, even the political sphere, they just come crashing through all that and say, Yeah, but this person needs help or they're suffering, right. and what are we doing about right. this? You know, these ideas yeah. are great or whatever. Right. You don't want to violate this. or right. <laughs>
1: back down to the practical.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: yeah no I think that's um, I, I love that idea of, of I mean that's a beauty of the blessed mother <laughs> I mean what a gift she is yeah that even in our own age where her image is being radically erased from the culture you, you mm-hmm. know and this they're twin prongs I mean the, the feminist movement has targeted virginity and motherhood we have a virgin mother you know it's mm-hmm. it's her that they're trying to rub out of us mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally um, but that's the model that i think we all need yeah. to really be mindful of and and focus on and have that devotion to her so that she can show us you know what true womanhood is supposed to look like and get us to that point
0: yeah and i had recent, like the last few years i had experience of like the blessed mother the strength of her which i usually didn't think of her that way you know mm, and mm-hmm. um I went to Our Lady of Champion up in Wisconsin. Oh, nice! Yeah, and I went to the lower church, little old the original chapel. Mm-hmm. Just had this great experience of the tenderness of Our Lady. It was mm-hmm. just something palpable. Mm-hmm. I go to Yasnogora and <laughs> I prayed the Rosary in front of Our Lady of Częstochowa image, mm-hmm. and I I remember I just felt like the strength of mm-hmm. Our Lady. That mm-hmm. it was like you know, this has been the place where the Polish people have derived strength to persevere through yeah. all their tragedies of their history yeah. and uh, so i think sometimes i think I, I would guess a lot of women maybe they've been know it better than i do but it, it, you know they, they think well this devotion is 1950s it's mm-hmm. it's dated mm-hmm. but she's standing at the foot of the cross i mean our, yeah. our women today right. you got to be strong yeah. but look to the blessed mother i mean right. she's a source of strength
1: yeah and no, and I think that um, is important. I think I, I love the idea of her tenderness. I have recently started praying more specifically daily to our, our Lady, Mother of Tenderness, because that's the piece that's missing. That's what they've mm-hmm. stripped from us is this idea that we can be tender. And, and this even the recognition of the vulnerability that happens when we are pregnant and when we uh-huh. are giving life, you know, mm-hmm. it's um, there's a lot of power in that, too, in that in that you know, and that's where, again, you see the family is so vital because a woman cannot do all those things on her own that she needs to do to take care of a family. I mean, women do it all the time and it's incredibly hard. I have incredible sympathy for women that, that have to do that. Um, But the reality is it's not part of God's plan. We need men to be men, to, to fill in and to take, allow, allow us that space to be vulnerable so that we can be good mothers. We can yeah. Raise our children, and you know that that working together, I think, is gets mixed up and messed up because we're so focused on you know men versus women and mm-hmm. all that that tension, um, without really realizing that complementarity of of gifts and being focused on that and how um, you know each has its own place in that that real dynamic of family life.
0: And it's still even in our movies, even with all the liberalness of Hollywood. <laughs> It's like they still want a guy to bust in, rescue you, you know? Right, right. No, there's still yeah, that. Those things DNA. don't
1: change unless you're watching Barbie and then <laughs> none of that is allowed. But yeah, uh, yeah no, it's, it, it is amazing how these archetypes are, are, are built deeply into us. And, um, you know, it's just that incredible audacity, really, of, um, of the culture and of the left to try and tell us that they aren't. Um, yeah, especially with, you know, they have that, there's this word called essentialism where you can't actually say that a body and soul are sort of connected, that the body informs us about what right. the person is like. Um, and it's amazing what a taboo word that has become, you know, oh, you know that's essentialism, um, <laughs> you know, but they've just been incredibly effective in, in tr- trending things in the way in which yeah, they want them yeah. to be trended and become taboo.
0: Last question, I know we're out of time. I know you've, you've told the story, before about your your own like wanting to get married and and even embracing like a more tender side uh, yeah how would you describe that again because I, I feel like i come <laughs> upon that as a priest like someone yeah. woman to get married right and i i want to help them but right. like, i don't know how to tell them
1: right <laughs> how do i say this nicely like <laughs> calm down stop yeah. it um yeah no i i mean i was very much a, a, a part of the, the the culture of of feminism and and ambition and you know, you're fed these things your whole life. Yeah. And, and um, I had this deep conversion to back to Catholicism. I was very lukewarm for most of my life but um, when I was in college. But there was still certain pieces that I, I just couldn't figure out. You know, I was doing a doctorate in philosophy in Washington, D.C. and working at a think tank and doing yeah. all the things that, you know, on paper look like this is what a woman should be do- doing. Right. Um, but a lot of it, I, I, I actually, well, what really precipitated was that um, several of my ex-boyfriends went on to to marry kindergarten teachers, and I just was scratching my head at that. Like, what is it that the <laughs> kindergarten teacher has that I don't have? You know, I'm like, here's my list. I'm doing all the. I'm checking all the right boxes, um, and then finally, it just you know something just started hitting me. Like, it's kindness. It's tenderness. It's it's yeah. listening. It's you know being present. It's you know all those things that I had never really thought about before. Cultivated the virtues mm-hmm. in and, um, uh, you, you know, not feeling like I always had to have a snappy, smart answer, you know, but listening more and being, smiling more, and, mm. you know, all, all those little things. Yeah. Um, I started doing them and um, it was really, I even changed the way that I dressed a little bit. I, you know, it was fewer like pants suits and things mm-hmm. like that it was more. Um, feminine. Type. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, just more feminine. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, well, it was great. One day I was in the metro, um, it was a hot summer day, but down the metro it was obviously cooler and I had this young man walk up to me and he said, are you a kindergarten teacher? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I knew that I had triumphed. I had finally achieved something. And, I, you know, I never saw him again. I, I just smiled and said no and walked off, you know, the end of a, the encounter. But it was sort of my sign like, that I had transformed myself sufficiently. And, you know, I can see now, too, and both as a, a wife and mother, you know, just how vital these these things are in terms of just, you know, how much more important listening is and being present because your children, and your spouses are going to have problems that, you know, the fighting spirit and the ambition cannot bust through. You can't right. talk them out right. of it. You can't, you know, you just have to be present and listen and hold them and, yeah. you know, all of that. And it's the, those are incredibly powerful tools that I think are hard to put on a resume, but that go so far in terms of cultivating yeah. souls and, and loving people the way in which they need to be loved.
0: You know, my whole life. I, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, a very big engineering town, high tech. Went to engineering school, mostly men. Went to seminary, men. Went to religious life, <laughs> all men. It's like I'm not dazzled by women with male with attributes or something. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm taken by yeah, this ability to pay attention to the individual, this yeah. tenderness, kindness, yeah. you know, and that's what the world needs a lot right now. A lot of it, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think a little goes a long way too, so that's a nice thing.
0: Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for talking
1: Uh, with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.